Welcome to the God and Cancel Culture podcast. I'm Stephen Strang, and as I've said before, I did this new podcast to draw attention to my new book by the same title. And today's podcast is with Lance Wallnow. I did it on the Strang Report. We talked about everything from A to Z, but we also talked about cancel culture and kind of how it fits into the bigger picture. So the interview is not pushing my book, but then why should it? I mean, I'm just trying to give you interesting content. You may have heard it on the Strang Report, but if not, here it is as it ran on the Strang Report. Share it with people. I'm trying to get the word out and you help me if you share this with friends on how they can buy the book. Welcome back and welcome to you, Lance. I consider you a friend. And uh, when I was just getting my podcast started, every time I had you on, I had great numbers. And I realized you had not been on a while. So, I mean, you you have your own media and you're so prolific. And, uh, you know, I, in fact, I saw you the other night hosting Gene Bailey's uh, program. Yeah. I guess he was out in Hawaii <laughs> or somewhere, and and uh, you you know yeah, you did really good at hosting that show. I thought, but yeah, uh, yeah, but but you know he the thing is he's not there, and then he has a chutzpah to to come in with palm trees in the background and join in. It's like he's <laughs> it's like he's going to start having me go to his office for him while he's on vacation, calling in. That's right. So anyway, but you know you have a, a unique gift. Um, you know, you've been around a long time, and you've had an effective ministry, but uh, it wasn't really until Donald Trump ran, and you were among the first to say that God was raising up this chaos candidate, you know, who yeah. did not check off any of the little tick marks that we, we Christians want in a, in a leader. You know, to me, uh, right. Mike Huckabee or, you know, a whole lot of others— did a better job yet it seemed that god raised up this unlikely real estate tycoon and of course the oh, rest we're, is we're, history. yeah it's like married three times and uh you know and, and couldn't give a good he wasn't even good at faking his christianity so you know when asked about you know have you ever asked for forgiveness it's like not not that i can think of and so he, he wouldn't <laughs> even give the like Obama would never make that mistake. He'd greet he would he could despise the evangelicals, but greet them on a call and say hello, fellow evangelicals. Trump is incapable of that kind of duplicity because he simply is a is a blunt force object and speaks what he thinks. You know, and finally we had a politician that at least was who he really was, and also who tried to keep his promises, especially on the issues. That were important to us, like moving the embassy to uh, Jerusalem and uh, pro-life and a whole lot of things. And, you know, we could talk about that a long time. I'll just, you know, I ended up writing four books about with his name in the title. And uh, <laughs> um, yes, indeed, you discerned the trend and you were absolutely right. He's not done yet. Well, he's, he's not, a, uh, but you know what? I've decided <laughs> that it's not my job to uh, be his cheerleader in my new book, God and Cancel Culture. It actually starts with the words, this book is not about Donald Trump, uh, which may <laughs> which may surprise you since I've been identified with him. With, you know, my book, I read your book word, word for word. I was one of the first people to read it. It was, it was outstanding. For me, I felt that there was kind of an untold story, um, and 
and I did it from my um, vantage point as a journalist. The two follow follow-up books happened because the first one was successful. You know, that's how things are in publishing. And, uh, you know, that's fine. It, it was my opportunity to speak to the culture. The last one, God, Trump, in the 2020 election, was my impassioned appeal on why we had to elect him because all these bad things were going to happen. Well, guess what? <laughs> you know, the bad yeah, exactly. things are happening. And I had a chapter on why he might lose. And guess what? A lot of what I said happened. I didn't have the whole picture, and I wasn't being prophetic in the way that you and some other Christian leaders, I'm more of a, a journalist, um, you know, that's my training, of course, and my perspective. But with cancel culture, I'm just very, very concerned about people being canceled, and it seems that it's getting worse by the day. I mean, recently, a lady that was asked to sing the um, national anthem at a a big sporting event, and they disinvited her because she wouldn't get the vaccine. I mean, what does that have to do with anything? You know, it's like yeah. any little thing you do that doesn't go along with the leftist narrative uh, gets you canceled, and, and now people are are afraid of being canceled. They think, oh, this happened to this person. You know, maybe I better not say anything. And yeah, I think that that's the that, worst of all. Yeah, but I, I think the, but I think the cancel culture as as um, as serious a specific threat as it is, is part of a larger um, issue, which is the replacement of theology, faith, God, a sense of national identity, and, uh, and a shared Judeo-Christian worldview has been replaced by a new sacred. And we have to understand why the cancel culture does what it does. It's because at some level, Democrats, particularly progressives, identify politics as a religion. Now, guys like me, we get accused of uh, dominionism, falsely accused, I might add, of all these things. But the left actually are dominionists. And we should really start to examine what happens because they have a new theology. And that theology has sacred ideas. And we who are speaking truth are guilty of blasphemy. So they tear their robes, they burn our churches, and they silence us and punish us because we're committing some form of blasphemy against the new religion. And this, this progressive woke culture is actually a couple of ideas woven together that produce a counterfeit worldview, and it's a false religion. And so it's a religious battle in the United States. Christians don't want to hear it. The last thing they want to do is figure, I don't want to get involved with religious debates. But the fact is, if you don't get involved with them, they'll get involved with you, which is why you told me earlier 95 churches have been burned down, Catholic churches. Why are they doing that? Because of the blasphemy laws. They consider the Catholic Church to be guilty of, of being in opposition to their religion, just like the Taliban would consider a Christian missionary to be in opposition to their existence. So the good news is it's so obnoxious. Nobody likes it. I mean, the average person really doesn't like it. It's, there's a, it's 25% of America is drinking the Kool-Aid. 95% of Democrats go along with the Kool-Aid. But only 25% are really woke, nutty. The large majority of Americans are actually, they're feeling like cowards, but they're also feeling like they're bullied. And you don't bully people for long before there's a backlash. I agree with you, and we can only hope that happens. Uh, but I agree with your, what you're saying about it being a church. Uh, you know, a lot of people, including me, over the years have said that secularism, or sometimes we call it human 
secularism was kind of like a religion. Everybody kind of poo-pooed that. But recently, I read a book um, called Woke Inc., and, uh, or maybe it was Woke Incorporated. It's by a biotech CEO, uh, a Hindu um, immigrant to America, who makes the argument in the book that there's a church of diversity that's an actual religion, and he, he makes a, a point using EEOC definitions of even where a few times religious exemptions of, uh, applied to atheists, you know, because of certain legal things. In fact, I'm going to do a podcast on it later, and I may try to track this author down. I thought it was fascinating. He was concerned about all this stuff because it's just tearing apart the fabric of America and uh, democracy and and, uh, capitalism. You know, as a non-Christian, he did not see it at all from the same vantage point you and I would, although he was concerned about uh, religious people of all types, you know, losing their you know, religious freedoms, but he called it the church of diversity. You could also call it the church of wokeness, and you're right. Uh, there are heretics, there's blasphemy, blasphemy there's, um, there's penalties to, for your sin. Uh, oh, they, yeah, and there's the, ten, there's the Ten Commandments, and, there's, and think about it. We've, if you have a word of faith background, you have the law of confession. You won't, if they have actual confessions. The difference is we confess what we believe, and they extort from us what they believe. So you have to use their gender pronoun. And it's the typical nature of the devil. It's not enough for you to have a different a confession. You have to use their confession, or you're punished. You're right. And, you know, there have been blasphemers since the beginning of time, or the beginning of Christianity, of course. There have been people, even in America, um, that have not been religious. I mean, look, look how the West was won. It was not you know, there were bad guys yeah. that did had shoot 'em ups in the middle of the uh, street, or at least that's what the movies portray. Even even the pilgrims, as pious as they were, there were non-pilgrims on the Mayflower. They called themselves saints, and they called the other people strangers. We've had this tension going back to the beginning of our democracy. But and there's always been people that didn't want to go to church, or made fun of people that went to church, or made fun of the church lady, or you know, I mean. <laughs> But it was never well, that well, they well, forced well, it down our throat. No, and, I, and that's where I see the backlash. This is the opportunity. I think things are getting worse, and it's all good. And uh, the, the reason I think that is because, uh, do you remember the name of the rabbi that got that book, Thou Shalt Prosper? He spoke at one of my conferences. I'd done podcasts. So I was just drawing a blank on him. Rabbi, rabbi, uh, you, you'll, you'll think of who he is in, in a second. He's, anyways, he's, he's great conservative values. He speaks at a lot of Christian events. Brilliant, like, like, right. It's not Jonathan Sachs. It's someone else. But he said something. He told me. He said the term to describe what we're dealing with as Jewish culture or Christian culture is secular fundamentalism. I think now the iteration is, is progressive fundamentalists. It's a religion, and we should start calling them progressive fundamentalists. Because fundamentalism is a turnoff word on the left. So you have to fix a word on them that they, can, that they don't like. It is progressive fundamentalism. And now with the, the, what's happening in Afghanistan, you'll see the kind of like an angle they take in the liberal media is, this is religion. Oh, no, no, that's not religion. 
that's uh, that's Muslim fundamentalism, that's jihad fundamentalism. And so you've got progressive fundamentalists trying to kill off freedom of speech here, and you've got Muslim uh, jihad fundamentalism that's taken over as a state religion in Afghanistan. And now's the time for a shift in America. I believe what's happening now is going to result in the greatest populist backlash that the institutions have ever experienced, because they're now like with like with uh, Biden's uh, comments the other night, where he says, "I'm losing my patience." And, uh, this is can you imagine Donald Trump looking at a TV camera and doing a press conference and telling the left, "I'm losing my patience." They would their heads would have exploded. So this this kind of attitude, this kind of irritated, grumpy, paternal authority figure telling you what you're going to do with your life is not going to go over. You see the stadiums and the college football games, no masks, packed in like sardines, and in defiance doing their chants, the American spirit is not that easily tamed. COVID put us in isolation. That was a psychological, physical blow. The George Floyd rides put us in embarrassment and perplexity. Oh, my gosh, what's going on with the race issue? And But the combination of it is, can only last so long. Now people are thawing out. 64% are pro-vax. The rest of the country, what are you going to do with the 80 million people that voted for Trump and the 40 million that had COVID and had natural antibodies? And Israel's saying they're 13 times more resilient than the people with vaccinations, and they've vaxxed three times and have 90% of the people vaccinated. And they're saying the most resilient part of Israel is the people that have natural antibodies. Isn't so you're, that, you're not going to see America cooperate. Isn't that interesting? And, you know, I my listeners know I had COVID. I had a very mild case last December. And um, my wife and I went to a wedding in which they required everybody there to have a vaccine. They made four exceptions for four of us who had had it. And 20 people out of the 60 who attended, 20 people came down with COVID. Obviously, somebody in the room had it. And uh, two people at our table that we ended up talking to who had had the vaccine. In fact, we talked about the vaccine in just, you know, table you know, conversation, but yet the four, the four of us that they made the exception for, none of us got sick. Now that's anecdotal, uh, but it makes me think that the vaccine isn't so valuable. By the way, the rabbi's name is Daniel Lappin. He's a, he's a, he's a friend of mine. He's a great guy, a great speaker. And, um, but I just wanted to say that since you brought up his name, but you know, Lance, uh, one of the things that people look to you, is kind of a word from the Lord. Now, you're kind of an interesting person. You're a media personality. You're a businessman. You're a, you're a consultant, uh, but yet you're a ministry guy, too, and um, you preach, uh, well, and I'm glad, you glad have— you get that. I'm, so, I'm so glad you said that because I have friends of mine that come up to me now. These are, these are preachers with big apostolic networks. And, and they're, they're, they're nice to me. They say, you know, you're a little controversial, meaning that the pastors have different opinions. But this is a question I got asked two weeks ago, which cracked me up. Sincerely, spoken by a leader whose name I won't name, but because I, 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 wasn't, I didn't have a problem with it, but he said something that really made me laugh. He said, what we were wondering in our network is, when did you decide that you weren't going to be uh, preaching anymore and you were going to do what you're doing? I thought I started laughing. I was at lunch. I said, I actually never decided I wasn't a preacher. 
I just simply was talking about things that preachers were afraid to talk about and ended up with a different congregation. I'm only doing what I do now because there's subjects that, that the pulpit is nervous about that I feel need to be dealt with as directly and congruently as any other kind of commentary. So I didn't leave ministry. I'm just expanding my Christian mantle into the area of media to cover all the people that aren't being instructed by their pastors. You're absolutely right. And also a lot of these preachers, not all, but many of them, especially in our circles, they think that you have to add uh to everything like and da, and the <laughs> Lord said da, you know, and it kind of turns people off. I mean, you just kind of talk normal and <laughs> at least to well, me, exactly. it's normal. Um, and I don't, well, mean yeah, to, the, the I don't mean to be critical of the other <laughs> preachers, but, you know, I guess we all live in a bubble and a lot of a lot of preachers do, you know, within their bubble, within their denomination. Uh, you know, people expect them to do that. And, and you start out slow and you get wound up and you're almost screaming at the end. You know, it's uh, actually well, it's, I it's kind a, of enjoy those kind of services. Oh, myself. I do. I, and, and you know what's funny is Donald Trump, if, if you're in a room with Donald Trump, he re, why did he like Paula White? Because she's like a white female T.D. Jakes. He loves Pentecostal style preaching because it has emotional uh, power with content that is edifying. So I don't know if you ever remember the movie, but The Apostle by Robert with Robert Duvall. Oh, I thought and it he, was great. It was kind of, had a kind of an odd plot, as I remember. Well, but. yeah. It, it, well, we're so desperate for Christian movies. We we all thought it was great, even though it was. Odd. Well, it was but it was mean, from a very very narrow Pentecostal sect in Louisiana, as I recall, and. And yes. and the and the preacher wasn't exactly a good guy, as I recall. No, no, he was he was quite a he was quite an unsavory character. But I I saw an interview. This Robert Duvall, of course, is a brilliant actor, and he was asked about his experience on The Godfather, and he said, you know, we knew when we were making it, you could sense on the set where this is an epic being filmed. He said sometimes you just get those kind of goosebumps. And I was thinking about his commentary as an artist. He said, now when I made The Apostle. I had to go around the country to churches to hear how these people preach. And he started, he did, wasn't disrespectful. He said, and uh, so if you kind of have an A on, and he was demonstrating the different styles of put the uh on the end of the word. And he, was, and he showed three styles of Pentecostal preaching that as an actor, he had to analyze which one was he going to use for intonation. But, he, but think about it. He analyzed it as a craft with a communication style. It's not necessarily natural. It's kind of like an art form. Well, it is. It's like learning different types of music, too. Um, you know, people that are good musicians could learn a jazz style or even a go gospel music style. Uh, you know, these are all cultural things, but a lot of times the cultural things get in the way of the gospel or are turned off to people that maybe aren't familiar with it. I guess we got going here because I said that you, uh, you're you just in a class by itself. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been covering the Christian community for 46 years. That's probably longer than you've been alive. And uh, I've, I feel like I've seen it all, but you are in a category by yourself. And uh, well, I, I, I appreciate that, Stephen. I, I think that I, went, I once went to a doctor who um, wanted me to do an IQ test. And, and at the end of the IQ test, he said, you have very unusual scales. You, you have um, ADHD. And I said, well, what's, is that bad? 
He said, well, I just want to say you have severe ADHD. So what you get is you get someone who seeks God and has an anointing, but it's ADHD, which means, which means at any moment the subject can actually change. But typically, if I hit it right, this, the Lord has something to say. And God's saying something in the chaos. This is where you were going. I believe there's a word right now, and I have it as strong in my spirit as I had when I got the Donald Trump theme in the back in uh, 2015, going into 2016. And here's what it is. When I saw the debacle in Afghanistan, and I saw the woke flag and the American flag one day, and then I saw the embassy collapse the next day, I shook my head and the thought came to me, because I remember the flag is called Old Glory, and I remember the verse in 1 Samuel, the glory has departed. I watched the Middle East collapse. I look at geopolitical things. I understand China. I understand Davos. I understand why China wants to have a land bridge for one belt. And there's a new economic system between Davos and China, and they want America out. And it looks like Biden, in all of his bumblingness, has created the perfect self-inflicted wound to facilitate that. And I'm watching this, this global meltdown of the United States. And it forced me to go find the verse where the glory departs. The ark leaves the land of Israel. But where does it go? It goes into the camp of the Philistines. I, and then, then if you watch, the, it's while the ark of God, 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, is in the house of Dagon, their idol, that the idol falls down flat. And what I felt the Lord said, and this will encourage uh, your audience, I'm sure, is that in my opinion, this is just me, but I feel like the Lord has said it, this election was stolen, but the Lord allowed it to happen. And I believe the Lord allowed it to happen for reasons. We're going to have to talk about it in another, another conversation. But what has come out of that is the, the, the party in power has taken and touched something which has to do with the glory that is still yet on the United States that has been, in a sense, taken captive. If you don't mind me saying, it's like it's been kidnapped. It's like it's been stolen. The problem the Philistines had was that the ark didn't rise up and defend Israel. Like we all prayed for God to rise up with us and give us a victory. Well, Israel ended up defeated in front of their enemies. And of course, they said a great question, which is something which on more than one occasion I've had to say, which is, uh, why has the Lord, here's the exact verse. Uh, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? That was my question, because I know there are Philistine forces out there, and I know that we're praying and fasting and walking around and praying and blowing shofars and repenting on Zoom calls all day. Why has the Lord allowed it? Here's the main thing. When Israel didn't have the ark and the Philistines took it, they had a problem, because now they had God in their camp, and God was judging them directly, and they couldn't blame the Israelites. You'll notice that Biden's trying to blame the unvaxxed. He's going to try to blame Christian exemptions for religious reasons. They're going to try to find a way to blame their problems on others. But the inflation problem, the uh, militant Islam problem, the collapse of American prestige, the economic interruptions, the fuel prices, they're not going to be able to get away from the narrative. And I believe the ark of God is now causing the idol to fall flat on its face. They propped up the idol after it fell down, and then the next day the head and the hands were cut off. I believe that right now the Philistines have made a mistake. They've touched something about the destiny of America. They've touched the unfinished assignment on America. And they brought, in a sense, they've messed with the glory of something. And now the glory is at war with them. And so you're going to see darkness and light combined, you know, hitting together. But it's a perfect moment for the American uprising. 
the Christians that are out there should realize the low-hanging fruit, Stephen, is, is, is not necessarily right now. Antifa, BLM, the independents, and, you know, and, and the 25% that love this stuff. The low-hanging fruit is the 45 million people that voted for Donald Trump that believe in America, that are distressed immeasurably about its destruction, who have a notional idea of Christianity but haven't met Jesus. We're seeing the first fruits of a whole truckload of conversions of Republicans that love America that are hoping something's going to change but need Jesus because that's the harvest that's right in front of us right now. It's probably 10 million to 20 million strong. Wow, that's very encouraging. We probably need to leave it there. You know, the Word of God is true, and all things do work together for good, and that's been true ever since uh, those words were written in the Scripture, and there have been some very, very dark times, of course, throughout human history, and we've got to believe that uh, all things work together for good. So thank you for sharing that. I'm going to I'm going to take you up on your promise to come back and talk about the election being stolen. Um, I have felt personally that it's not my responsibility to, uh, you know, press that issue, but I am concerned about it. And like you, I think it was stolen. I mean, when they find, when he's ahead and then in the middle of the night, they find boxes of ballots that were all written for Biden and uh oh, yeah. and, and they've got the goods now Stephen. but in fulton county we've got the videotapes we've got the ballots but it's, it's not being covered like it'll be uncovered but in maricopa county in fulton in arizona in fulton county georgia the, the we have videos we have we have people now we've got the runners with the ballots working between midnight and five in the morning easily two hundred thousand ballots stuffed illegally with videotape of uh, one woman I'm looking at, she's got uh, gloves on so that her fingerprints aren't on the ballots. And I thought, well, maybe it's super COVID hygiene. Then she takes the gloves off after she dumps the ballots in and puts the gloves in a, in a garbage can. And it's on video. I saw it. So you're going to be surprised at how powerful the information is that's going to come out to take this conspiracy theory and actually put legs to the, the reality of it. Well, we need to do that on another podcast. Meanwhile, I'll thank you for your time. Thank you for your leadership in the body of Christ. You've helped so many people in so many ways, especially to understand what God is saying in this time. And I'll invite my listeners to share this all over social media. Uh, Come back again tomorrow for another podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. God bless you.